Good morning. Man, y'all are hurting from the turkey, aren't you? You are. It's okay to admit it. It's fine. Um, hey, I hope you're excited about next Sunday. Because this time next Sunday, we won't quite be here yet. Well, some of us will be. Um, but if you remember, um, you've already heard it mentioned this morning, we'll be gathering here together as one corporate church family at 10 o'clock um, to be sent out for Sin Sunday as we go to, I think, 20 different locations where we'll be loving on our community and feeding close to 2,500 people. 2,500 people, that's a lot of spaghetti noodles, isn't it? Um, but here's what I want to encourage you. Some of you are thinking, what is Sin Sunday? You know, maybe you weren't here last week. You didn't get to sign up. Um, you can still go online and sign up for that so we can get you put on a team. Um, in the back of the seat backs in front of you, there's a, there's a card that says love first at the top of it. If you've not filled that out, we would ask you to fill that out today and put it in the, the wooden boxes that are at the exit doors on your way out. And you will be getting contacted by your team leader this week. Some of you may not have been contacted by your team leader yet, which is okay. Okay, because I know I think there was about 10 or 12 more people that signed up last night. Um, so Miss Sam was downstairs kind of skirmishing this morning, trying to get everybody put where they need to be. So they've just been put on a team. So if you've not been contacted yet, don't worry, you will be this week. I promise you. Okay. Um, Y'all got time for a quick story that has absolutely nothing to do. I just got to tell you about Cooper. That's one of my twins. I always, Cooper goes, daddy, don't you tell that in the church, but I got to, we've all got Thanksgiving memories. Here's mine. I'm taking him deer hunting the other day and Cooper's 10, if you don't know Cooper, um, and Cooper is in his own little world and he's happy there. And um, Cooper goes, daddy, I made a playlist on my phone. And he has a, it's a phone, but it doesn't work. He can't call anybody. So, but he's still in his mind has a phone. He said, daddy, I made a playlist on my phone. I said, what kind of playlist Cooper? Cause you know, you never know what's going to come out of the mouth of a 10 year old. He said, I made a playlist of Reba. How many of you know Reba McIntyre? I said, Cooper, why in the world did you make a playlist of Reba McIntyre? Daddy, I like her voice and she's got good Christmas music. So my 10 year old now on the top of his playlist is Reba McIntyre. So I don't, I, and again, that has absolutely nothing to do with this morning, but I just had to tell that basically because Cooper didn't want me to tell it. Um, so anyway, but let me pray for us and then we're gonna uh, jump into this morning. God, we thank you. Um, that we all this morning have something to be thankful for. God, but ultimately we are thankful that you sent your son to take our place. And God, that you are our living hope. And God, that you are our resurrection. You are our life. And so God, this morning, as we take a step in um, getting closer and closer to the year 2020, Lord, I'm praying for new things. God, I'm praying for new vision. God, I'm praying for new direction. God, for all of us as your church. But God, we humbly today say thank you that you've given us an opportunity to be a part of your mission. And God, we'll praise you for the results. We love you and we thank you today in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I wanna start out by sharing another story that kind of has something to do with where we're going this morning. But this morning is gonna be a little bit different. Um, I'm just gonna kind of talk to you. I'm not gonna preach at you. I'm not gonna be yelling and screaming and running around and jumping because that breaks my microphone. Um, but I just wanna talk to you about where we're headed as a church um, and the direction that I feel like God's laying on my heart. Um, but first and foremost, there's a, a story that, I've, that I have shared a couple of times. I don't know that I've shared it in here. I know I've shared it in the, in the children's. I know I've shared it in the youth. Um, but I remember as a young boy at 12 years old, I was going camping 
with RAs. How many of you remember RAs, Royal Ambassadors? You know, as a Royal Ambassador, I would do my best. But see, I still remember the pledge. We, Royal Ambassador. I remember we were going camping, but we were going trout fishing at Panther Creek up off of 365. And, and I remember my dad had just, um, had just gotten this new trout fishing rod. And we were going trout fishing. So, you know, I know now, I used to get so mad at my dad because he wouldn't let me borrow stuff. But now I know as a dad now, I don't want my kids touching my things because they never come back in one piece or they never come back at all. And you got, where's that? I don't know, daddy. I don't remember where I did with it. So I finally got the courage that day to ask my dad. I said, daddy, can I borrow your new fishing rod? He said, yeah, you can borrow it. I said, huh? Number one, I had to fall out of the floor because he said, yes. But I remember going on this camping trip with this fishing rod that, man, I just thought it was just covered, you know, basically coated in 24 karat gold. I mean, this was the most valuable. It was probably a $15 fishing rod, to be honest with you. But I remember early on that what was the last thing my dad told me is he said, don't break the fishing rod. So I remember I had it propped up by the campfire against a tree. We were getting tents ready. We're getting ready to go camp. And all of a sudden I heard the dreaded crack. One of my friends had leaned up against the tree and broke the tip of the fishing rod off. And I went, oh, no. You know how the trout fishing rod, you can pull them apart into like three or four sections. And they all go into their little case. Well, what happened was it only broke about two inches off of the, the top part. So I thought, okay, this is salvageable. I can fix this. So we just continued breaking it. We stuck it back in there. So I said, Daddy, surely he'll never notice that it's two inches shorter. Not, not that big a deal. We're fine. So we're on the first rod. We're on the first hole and we're fishing. We're eight 12-year-old boys. So I remember casting my spinner all the way across, the, across the, the rushing river. And all of a sudden, my hook gets stuck on the other side of the hole. And so I thought, oh, man, I've gotten hung. So I'm sitting there shaking it, trying to get that hook to break loose with everything, which is not a big deal. Till all of a sudden, that piece of my fishing rod pops out of the end of my rod and goes all the way across the river, still attached to the line. Still not that big of a deal. Everything's still intact. I can go swimming. I can get down there, get the end of my fishing rod. Until my moron friend, Tim McGill, he says, Brian, I'll get it. Don't worry. And he grabs the line and he pops and breaks the line. And now all of a sudden, that little eight-inch section of fishing rod is now in this river. And so what do I do? I cried like a baby. I thought my life is over. My dad's going to kill me. This is it. I might as well not go home. And so really, we were super spiritual. So we all gathered up, all eight of us, and we began to pray. We said, God, please help us find this fishing rod. And in my mind, how many times have you ever prayed that God was going to do something, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking there is no way this is going to go well? I know that God is able. I know that God can, but I just don't believe God's going to. And I remember in that moment, I'm sitting there praying, probably with my eyes open, not even thinking, going, yeah, we'll pray, but this is absolutely ridiculous. God's not gonna let me find this fishing rod. My life is over, my life is through. And so we finished praying and, and something in me, and I'm not gonna be super spiritual and say that it was the voice of God speaking from a burning bush, but something in me told me, pick up your friend's fishing rod and cast in the river. So all of my friends are praying. They've, we finished praying. They're all getting in their boxers so they can go swimming to try to find the tip of my fishing rod. So I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. So I pick up this fishing rod and I flinging the spinner all the way across this river. And I'm sitting there really, and I, literally I'm going, God, please help us. Please, Lord, help us find this end of this fishing rod. And in that moment, I, I look and I know the spinner's getting close to me and it gets right up to the bank. And I'm, look, I'm not making this up, okay? I'm standing on 
behind the Lord's pulpit here. So this is not a, a lie. In that moment, I lifted up the hook and that spinner that had a treble hook with three little hooks on it, one hook had caught the smallest eye of the fishing rod that I had lost. And I picked it up and that little eight inch fishing rod was attached to that hook. And so I did what all 12 year old boys do. I cried. <laughs> and I remember that we all absolutely went nuts. All of us are jumping around. We're screaming, going, no way, no way. God is good. I mean, we were all so excited. Number one, we didn't care about the rod, but I was going to live. <laughs> I was going to live that my dad wasn't going to kill me. We had found the fishing rod. But you know, I know that's a comical story. I know that's funny. But the one thing that God taught me as a 12-year-old boy, no matter how ignorant it sounds, no matter how far-fetched it sounds, when we are obedient, God shows his power. And you think, well, Brian, that's just a fishing rod story, but you don't understand. That was a pivotal moment in this 12-year-old boy's life. And there's not a time that God doesn't speak something to me that is totally outside this world, that is out of the box, that guess where he takes me? He takes me to the side of Panther Creek and I still see that little eight inch fishing rod on the end of that hook because God says, Brian, when you're obedient, my power gets to move. My power gets to move when you're obedient. And you know, I, and where I kind of want to just share with you is this, this morning, God's been stirring something in my spirit since probably end of October, early November. But guys, it's a, it's a place that I want for, for me, I want for my family, I want for you, I want for this church. I'm ready to be shocked by God again. The same way that I felt that day when that hook had a fishing pole attached to it, I stood in awe. I stood in absolute shock of what God had done. And church, what I want for us is I'm ready to be shocked by God again. I'm ready to stand in awe of his movement. I'm ready to stand in awe of his power. I'm ready to stand in awe of what he's doing. You may be thinking, well, Brian, what does that mean? What, what do you mean you want to stand shocked by God? Boy, you don't have a whole lot of faith. What I mean is, you know, we all go through seasons of life as Christians that, you know, things are kind of just coasting along. A lot of you have probably traveled for Thanksgiving and you got on the interstate and you pushed cruise control. So you didn't really have to think. You just set it on the speedometer where you wanted to go and you just kept driving. You know, if we're not careful as followers of Christ, we too quickly push cruise, push cruise control. Where we don't have to think about it, where we just kind of go through the motions, we kind of check off the boxes. You know, nothing really bad is going on but also there's nothing absolutely amazing going on either. And it's just very easy to get comfortable. It's very easy to get complacent. You know, I guarantee if we sat down and we had one-on-one -on -one conversations at coffee tables or sitting around a dinner table and we started sharing about some of the most rewarding times in all of our life, I guarantee you that those most rewarding times were connected to some of the biggest chances you've ever taken. Think about when you 
men in here, think about when you asked your wife to marry you. You were a nervous wreck. Because somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, there ain't no way she's going to say yes. There ain't no way this is going to happen. Right? And I was just sitting there going, yep, that was me. Son, that was exactly how I felt. But remember as parents, when you felt something stirring in you that it was time to have kids. No way. I can't be a parent. I can't even take care of myself, much less another little human being. Think about when you felt something stirring in you about a, maybe it was a job change. And you thought, there's no way that I'll get this job. But you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna apply. I'm just gonna keep walking through the doors as, as they continue to open. We'll just see what happens. But you know, uh, what I love is what always starts with a no way this will ever happen usually ends with a no way that just happened. Do you see where I'm going with that? It always starts with a no way, but God always ends it with us thinking no way this happens. No way that that took place. And I'll just be honest, I am ready. My desire for us, for me, for my family, for you, is I'm ready to be a part of a no way movement of God. I'm ready to be a part of what we sit and we think about and we go, no way that'll happen. No way that's a possibility. And then at the end of 2020, we're all sitting here having the same conversation going, there's no way that God did what he did in 2020. It was an absolutely impossibility that he did what he did. But you know, the one thing that the Lord's been teaching me just over the last month that I've spent a lot of time praying and just asking him is, the reason that we may not be seeing these no way moments is because we've painted the wrong picture of God. We've truly forgotten the God that we worship, the God that we serve. You see, the picture that we've painted is a picture that we want to understand every little intricate detail. The picture that we paint in our view of God is we want to under, understand every aspect of God. We want to understand everything that God's doing. We want to be able to explain everything that God is doing. But the problem is, is if we have painted that picture of God, then we have forgotten the very God who created us. We have forgotten who this very God is. So the first thing that we've got to all settle in our hearts today, church, is Moving forward into 2020, we've got to be okay with not understanding. We've got to be okay with not understanding the outcome of everything that God leads us to do. We've got to be okay with not being able to make sense of it all. I've shared with you before, but one of my mentors, the Lord had laid something on my heart one time, and it, and it was, it sounded crazy. And I asked the guy, I said, dude, does this sound just, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? He said, yep. Just crazy enough that God might be right in the middle of it. Just crazy enough that God might be right in the middle of it. Evelyn Underhill stated this, and I want you to write this down because this absolutely should put everything into perspective to us all. A God small enough to be understood 
will never be big enough to be worshiped. A God small enough to be understood will never be big enough to be worshiped. You see, the truth is, is the more things that God do, does that doesn't make sense, the more we see him do things that are outside the box, the more we see him do things that stretch us, the more we see him perform on the line of the God that he truly is, do you realize this is what leads us to a heart of worship? When we see God do things that we can't explain, when we see God do things that we can't define, you do realize that that's what drives us to worship him. We worship things that we don't understand because it's so outside of the box. So we're caught, we're stuck in a place of awe thinking there's no way that that just happened. There is no way that God did that. There is no way that I took this little bitty spinner bait and cast it on the other side of a river and it caught the eye of a, basically found a needle in a haystack somehow, some way, and it left me standing on the bank thinking there's no way God did what God just did. Because you see, in my mind, that made no sense. That was absolutely the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. I was praying in my mind going, this is just absolutely stupid. There's no way that God's gonna let us find this fishing rod. But today what I want us to do is, I want us to look at a, or not, I want you to hear another quote that J.D. Greer said. He says, bold faith in a big God comes from not having all your questions answered. You hear that? We don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this quote at all, but bold faith in a big God comes from not having all of your questions answered. And so very quickly today, I want us to look at a story that we're all familiar with. If you've been in vacation Bible school as a child, if you've been in church for any time, you've, you've heard this story, but if not, um, we'll catch you up in just a moment. But I want us to look at a story today that what I love about this story is what God did left a lot of questions unanswered. What God does in this story and what God continues to do past this story left a lot of questions that were not answered. So I want you to flip to the book of Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, and it's the story of Moses and the burning bush. And I love Moses' honesty just even through this story. But we're gonna be looking at verses one through 12 um, just very quickly. Like I said, today is a little bit different because it's not really a, a preachy sermon, but it's really just something that God has been doing in me. And I'm just sort of sharing with you what God's been teaching me. And where kind of as a church that I feel like God is leading us into 2020. But in verse one, it says, now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and now see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him, from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said that I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. You see, what's happened already in this story is God has already done something in Moses' presence where Moses is thinking, there is no way that that just happened. There is no way that I'm sitting here looking at a bush that is on fire, but yet the bush is not burning up. The bush is not consumed. I burned, I, I burned some stuff at my house yesterday in the brush pile. And I was thinking about this story because I'm sitting there and, and, you know, it's been dry for a little while and it was dead, dead grass. It was dead um, bush clippings. It was all those kind of things. And I just very quickly put a lighter to it and and all of a sudden it was gone. And so I thought, what would I be doing if I was sitting here staring at this, this flames, but nothing was happening to what was burning up? I'm going to be sitting there going, wait a minute, something doesn't look right about this. I'm seeing a lot of flames and I'm feeling the heat off of this bush, but wait a minute, that bush is not burning up. That bush is not being consumed. What in the world is this about? And so we see that Moses is that, that's exactly what's drawn Moses to it. Is he's thinking, you know what? I've got to go see this thing. I'm seeing the flames, I'm feeling the heat, but this bush is not consumed. And in Moses' mind, we wonder, is he going, no way this is happening. No way is this happening. But you see where our problem is, is some of you are even right now, you're probably listening to this and you're probably going, what? but wait a minute, there's gotta be some scientific reason behind why this bush isn't burning. I'm gonna get on, online when I get home and I'm gonna Google this and figure this thing out because this has gotta make sense. I've gotta be able to understand why there's flames here, but why all of a sudden this bush is not burning up, why it's not going anywhere. Because I know that in my mind, in my intellect, I want to be able to understand this. I want to be know, I want to know why this is happening or why this is not happening. So I've got to make sense of this all, that there's a bush right here, but nothing's burning up. But what I laugh about is I'm like, yes, science, explain that. Science, explain that. How is this bush on fire, but nothing's happening? How is this bush on fire and nothing's happening? And then what God does next is if he's not got this bush engulfed in flames already, but then it says that he speaks from it. <laughs> you know Moses is going, dude, what in the world is going on? Here's a bush, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. Now all of a sudden, God is speaking to me through that bush. This is a little bit ridiculous. This sounds a lot like me catching an eight inch fishing rod in a big river. This is absolutely ludicrous because this doesn't make sense. And what we end up reading in the rest of this passage is that Moses is basically left in awe. He's left speechless before God and we read it that he ends up covering his face because he was fearful of looking at God because he knew that he was in the presence of God. But what I like to do here is just take note of the order in which all of this happened. You see, what's interesting is Moses was so in awe of God, he was so shocked by what God was doing. He was going, no way that this is happening, that this led him to realize how big God was. This led him to realize the power that God had. And we see that he covered his face. 
He was in awe of God because of what he was viewing, because of what he was seeing, what he was experiencing. But what I love about it is what Moses did not do. Moses didn't say, okay, God, time out. I'm gonna sit down right here. And God, what I want you to do first is I want you to explain to me how that bush is not burning up. God, I wanna know how you're speaking to me through that bush. God, I want you to make sense of all of this. And God, once you've made sense of all of this, then I'll be in awe of you. Then I'll understand what you're doing. So therefore, then I'll cover my face. But you see, that's not what led Moses to cover his face. It didn't lead Moses to cover his face because he understood God. But what led Moses to cover his face was that he couldn't believe God that he was in awe of what God was doing. He was so shocked by what God was doing that this led him to realize how marvelous, how powerful, and how almighty the God that he was, that he was standing in the presence of. And we see that it ended up leading him to taking his shoes off because he was on holy ground. You know, how many of you watched college football yesterday? You all watched it for the most part. Think about professional athletes. The reason that they sell so many tickets, the reason that they sell so many jerseys is because when we go to a stadium, when we go to a basketball court, when we go to a soccer field, we're left in awe at the ability of that athlete. But you know what we don't do to that athlete? We don't have a conversation with that athlete and say, okay, athlete, I want you to explain to me how you did that. Athlete, I want you to explain to me how you ran a 4240. Athlete, I want you to explain to me how you scored 51 points. I want you to explain to me how you rushed for 300 yards yesterday. No, we don't care how they did it. We just know that they did it. And because we know they did it, we're in all of them. So we put that jersey on and we wear it with pride and we don't understand how they were able to do what they did. Why don't we do God the same way? We wanna understand God first. So we're placing more faith in an athlete then we are an almighty God. We wanna be able to understand all aspects of God before we worship God for who he truly is. A God small enough to understand, to be understood will never be big enough to be worshiped. But I hear so many people that they say things like, you know what, once I can make sense of all this, once I can make sense that there was a God who loved me enough that he, they sent his son to die for me, that he took my place on that cross, that he, I, I, once I understand all of that, then I'm gonna place my faith in that. Once I understand all this whole thing about who God is and who his son is and what God is capable of, once I understand all of it, then I'll believe. Once I have all of my questions answered, then I'll believe. The heartbreaking part of that is there are gonna be a lot of people in hell that are still wanting questions answered because they didn't step out on faith, because they weren't okay with not understanding it all. They weren't okay with being in awe of God. They wanted to be able to explain and understand everything that God was doing. But the way this story progresses is we see that Moses is in awe of who God is. And it's not until Moses acknowledges God for who he is and his power and his glory, he covers his face because of the holiness of who God is. But once he acknowledges God, then we see God speak. 
So church, what we've got to do today is if we want God to speak, if we want God to lead us in a direction that we only want him to lead us in, the first thing that we've got to do is acknowledge him for who he truly is. He is an all-knowing and all-powerful and almighty God that we don't understand. But once we get to that place, this is when God begins to speak. Look at what God says in verse seven from the bush that's on fire, that's going nowhere. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and having given heed to their cry because of their, their tax ma- taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and a spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen their oppression, which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Stop right there. Moses is tell, God is telling Moses, I'm about to deliver my people out of Egypt. I'm about to rescue my people. So, you know, Moses is probably sitting there going, yeah, go God. You got this, God. I'm going to stand up here with my pom-pom. I got my God jersey on, and I'm going to cheer you on. God, you're going to do an amazing work, and I am so excited to see what you're about to do. How many of us are like that? We can cast vision here all day. And you're sitting out there going, yeah, go Chestnut Mountain. You keep doing what God is calling you to do. Praise God, I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader. But then the pages are turned and look at what God says next in verse 10. Therefore, come now and I will send you. This is that moment where Moses goes, ha no way. No way. I'm gonna send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Wait a minute, God. I was all about you doing your work. I was all about you rescuing those people from Egypt. I was all about that. God, I was going to be your biggest fan. I was going to be your biggest supporter. But wait a minute. You just said you want me to do it. You want me to do it. How many times have God told us, told you as an individual to do something? You're thinking, no way. There is no way. And see, in Moses' mind, he's probably sitting there thinking, you know what, I've I got a speech impediment. I, I, I'm just a shepherd. I can't do this. I'm the most unqualified person. And guess what the enemy began to do? The enemy began to reveal every, every weakness that Moses had. I was sitting having dinner last night with, with a couple of guys, and he shared something. He said, you know, that he had a man, one of the guys that I was eating dinner with shared And he said, my mentor once told me, while you're in ministry, never lead with your strength. Never lead with your strength. If you want to see God do something amazing, you always lead with your weakness. Whew. How many of that makes us uncomfortable? Because, man, if we ain't leading at what we're good at, if we're not leading in our strength, that means I've got to be dependent upon something else. And when God calls us to lead in our weaknesses, guess where we have to depend? We have to depend on him. We can't depend on our abilities. We can't depend on how good we are or what we understand or what God has gifted us with. But what we have to depend on is the spirit of God to do what only God can do. 
Because you see, most of the time when God speaks of this nature, of, of, of this size, it's always going to leave us saying no way. It's always going to leave us saying there's no way this will ever happen. There's no way that this can take place. And we see that that's exactly what Moses says in verse 11. He says that in 11. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? God, I can't do this. But the sweetest part of that is when Moses said that I can't do this, then Moses was right where God wanted him. Moses was right where God wanted him. Because in the moment that Moses says, I can't do this, God said, you're right. You're right. And in 2020, where I see God leading us, is I'm praying that God calls us to serve. I'm praying that God calls us to go. And listen to this, I'm praying that God calls us to give like we never have before. I am praying that when God begins to lay something on your heart, that when, you lay, when he lays something on my heart, that our first knee-jerk reaction is to say, you know what, no way. There is no way that I can do that. There's no way that I can go there. There's no way that I can serve in that capacity. There, you want me to give how much? God, there's no way. God, there's no way that I can do that. And just in the nick of time, right when we say no way, look at what God responds to in Moses in verse 12. And he said, talking about God, certainly I will be with you. God has just given Moses specific instruction. Moses is full of doubt. He's full of fear. But then all of a sudden, the promise of God echoes through his ears and he says, but Moses, don't be worried. I will be with you. Moses, I'm going to do what you aren't capable of doing. He says, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to, to you that it is I who have sent you. And when, when you, I love that, I got that circled. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. You see, God was gonna do something that left him in awe. God was gonna do something that left him speechless and what did it do? Right when he didn't understand God, it brought him to a place of worship because God had done only what God could do. What he did could not be explained. So A.W. Tozer, I think it was, it says this. He says, and I want you to hear this because this has really shook me up. This has really convicted me. The reason that we don't see the overflowing power of God, and this is to the church, this is to us. The reason that we don't see the overflowing power of God is not because we've rejected God but just reduced God. The reason that we don't see the overflowing power of Almighty God doing what only God can do. No, we've not turned our back on God. No, we've not rejected God, but the truth is, is we have just minimized God. We've painted the wrong picture. We've shrank him down to our size so that we can understand everything that he does. We prefer a God that likes what we like. 
We prefer a God who wants to do things the way we want to do things. We like a God that we can manage, that we can understand, and that we control. Let's just be truthful. It would be a lot easier if God worked on that line, wouldn't it? If I could understand everything, if he would just work on my time schedule, if he would just work on my calendar, if he would just work on my budget, it'd be a lot easier. But we love to be able to control the situation. And, and my prayer is, is that 2020 is gonna be the biggest stretch for all of us. And I pray that when God does things, you remember that a lot of times God will speak to us and give us a vision or God will give us direction what is the first thing that most of the time that type A people do? We go make a spreadsheet for it. Okay, God, you want me to do this? Well, let's have a team meeting. Let's figure out our spreadsheet. Let's make a list of all the pros and the cons. God, let's make sure that we've got the manpower. God, let's make sure that this fits into our budget. But the truth is, is church, I want us to get to a place that when the voice of God speaks, that we take the spreadsheet and we throw it out the window and we remember what verse 12 says when he says, look, I have spoken to you, I've given you direction. And the only thing that we need to remember is not what the numbers say, not what the manpower says, but the promise of God that he says, look, I will be with you. That's what I want this church to be, is I want us to be so in line with the Spirit of God that when He speaks to us, we're all coming in here on Sunday morning almost apprehensive going, I'm a little nervous to share with what God told me to do because it didn't line up on my spreadsheet. There's a lot more cons than there was pros. There's no way we have the manpower to feed 2,500 people next Sunday. This doesn't really fit into our budget. Are you not glad that we serve a God that doesn't fit into our budget? That doesn't fit into our mindset of manpower? But I just want us to bring, come to a place, church, where the only thing that we need to know is what verse 12 says. That he says, look, I am with you. I am with you. So starting in January, we're going to start a series that's called No Way. And you say, well, Brian, so you've already got this thing mapped out. You already know exactly where we're going to be. Absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea where God is leading us. And you know what? For this little moment of time, I'm okay with that. Because I want to get to a place, church, where I don't understand what God's doing. And then at the end of the day, when I put my head on my pillow at night, I have to give him the glory. I have to give him the praise because the only way that it happened was through the power of God. How many movements of God have you ever heard of that when somebody sat down at a round table and they casted the vision, the group of people sat there and they looked at each other and they thought, you know what? I think we can pull that off. I think we can pull that off. The movements of God happens when we in our flesh say, there's no way this will happen. There's no way that this will happen. And then all we do as the church is we fall on our face and say, God, look, I'm clinging to the promise that you said that if you've spoken this, then you're gonna provide the way. You're gonna do what only God can do. And so what I'm praying for for us as a church is look, I know 
Some of you are probably already ready to check out on 2020 because you're like, I don't want to be stretched. I'm okay being comfortable. I'm okay being right where I'm at. I've got it in cruise control and I'm good. Can I tell you, that's not what God has called us to do. God's not called us to be comfortable. God's just called us to be obedient. And I know that as we step into this direction of just seeking the Lord's face and asking God, God, what do you want us to do? It's gonna take a lot of preparation in our hearts. Because the truth is that if God is speaking to us, if God is telling us what to do, he's gonna tell us things like he told Moses. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be victorious, but I'm gonna use you to do it. That's when we get fearful. That's when we get a little scared. That's when we get a little apprehensive and thinking, okay, you know, I was better off just being a fan of God. Have y'all ever read the book, Fan or Follower? I'm tired of just being in a fan, being in the bleachers, cheering God on. Do you realize that as a follower of Christ, God's called us to be on the field? He's called us to be right in the middle of what he's doing. And so why, the way that I want us to respond today is two ways. Maybe there's somebody here today that you've never asked the Lord to save you. You've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and you're getting ready to enter into the most celebrated time of the year where we're celebrating our Savior's birth. But in reality, if you're not a follower of Christ, truthfully, you have nothing to celebrate. But maybe today you're in your mind and you're going, you know what, Brian, I'm just, I've been wanting to understand this thing for years. Can I beg you today to be okay with not understanding it all? Just step out on faith. Ask the Lord to save you. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name shall be saved. And so maybe this morning you've been wrestling with that for years. I'm begging you this morning, don't leave here. Don't leave here with a mindset of I've got to understand this. I'm asking you this morning, just ask God to save you. Just ask God to save you. But maybe today if you're a follower of Christ and you have no idea what 2020 looks like. I want us today as a church family to begin to prepare for 2020. I want us to spread out across this room and I want us to pray and I want us to ask God, say, God, I have no idea what 2020 has in store for me. I have no idea what it has in store for my church, but today, God, I wanna go ahead and let you be preparing my heart for what I may think that there's no way it'll happen. So God, I'm yours. God, I'm ready for you to ask me to do things that's gonna stretch me, but you know what? You may not be there yet. You may say, I'm, I don't wanna be stretched yet. All I'm asking you to do is get on your face this morning and just say, God, change my heart to be stretched. Change my heart to be stretched. But church, what I would ask you to do this morning is, I feel like this is the direction that God is giving us. And you're thinking, well, Brian, that's really no direction at all. I kind of know that. But all God's wanting us to do today is put our yes on the table and say, God, we don't even know what it's gonna look like, but our yes is here. And so this morning, what I want you to do,